You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Hi, everyone. Welcome uh, to this weekend after Easter. My name is Craig Turnbull, and I get to uh, serve on staff as one of the pastors. I also get to be the, the man today who brings to you uh, from a message, what I believe from God's Word has for all of us here today. It's in 1 Timothy, so if you have a copy of God's Word, would you please uh, join me there in 1 Timothy now? And if you don't have a copy, there's actually a hardback book in the seat pocket in front of you that you can just grab. That's a copy of God's Word, and you can turn and join us in 1 Timothy as well. And maybe the person next to you, if you don't know how to get there, can maybe show you how to do that. And while you're turning there, let me tell you where we're going next week. Uh, next weekend, Lord willing, our senior pastor returning to the pulpit. And uh, we're going to begin a brand new sermon series that will carry us on, Lord willing, through the end of the ministry year in June. Uh, brand new sermon series. I don't know how much I'm supposed to tell you about it. I think there's supposed to be an element of surprise. I don't know if there is or not. Some of you know. Some of you don't know. Uh, it's a book of the Bible, <laughs> verse by verse. And that's the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, okay? That's, I've probably said enough. All right? Uh, that's where we're going next weekend. And this weekend, here's where we're going. I'm praying that God's, as we pick up God's Word together, we're going to be encouraged by what God's Word has to say for us. I, I pray that we're going to have not only encouragement, but also thankfulness rising in our hearts, and, 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 and maybe even a renewed stoking of joy in the furnace of our lives. I'm praying for that today. In fact, uh, the central truth that we're going to look at, I think, is the central truth of all Christianity, which is the title of today's message, which is just this. Jesus came to save sinners. That's the, that's the truth we're going to roll around in today. That's the truth that we're going to delight in today, I pray. That's the truth that we'll be thankful for today, that we'll rejoice in today. That's the truth that will bring great encouragement, I think, today. It's, it's a truth, incidentally, that's also uh, been previously summarized in God's Word in a neat story uh, in, in the Gospels about Jesus' earthly ministry. It's, it's this story right here in Matthew and as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees, that's the religious muckety-mucks, the, the elite, the here we are, we're so high and mighty, when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teachers eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he, Jesus, heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus came to save sinners. Fast forward that a couple uh, decades, and, and we see the Apostle Paul sitting down and, and writing a note to his uh, buddy Timothy. It's actually not his buddy, it's a protege. He was, it, this was the man that, 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 that had directly discipled, had directly taught Timothy. They, they walked together for many years. Timothy saw him do ministry and, and, and navigate the trials and the ups and downs of this life in following Jesus Christ. He, he, he taught him, he apprenticed him. And this letter is meant to be a coaching letter. As, as Paul sits down, he's heard of some things that are going on in Timothy's church, and he wants to coach him through some stuff and remind him of some core and amazing truths. It would be the letter that you would love to get in your role at work by that person older in the Lord, maybe who's, in, who's walked in that path, and they write you a note, and they know what's going on in your life, and they write to encourage you. That's the point of Paul's letter to Timothy. But in the middle of this letter, right at the beginning, 
Paul gets really personal. He starts thinking about himself. It's almost like he drops the pen, remembers what's happened, and goes, wow, I, did that really happen? I can't believe that that, that, that has happened to me. Paul gets ma- majorly encouraged by what God has done in his life and what God's doing in his life. He gets incredibly thankful by what God's done in his life. His heart begins to fill with joy. And I pray that as we look at his encouragement and his thankfulness and his joy, we get carried along with that as well. Remembering not just Paul's story, but but your story as well. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 says this, I thank him, Paul drops the pen and thinks, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. Let's pause there as we begin. Paul's remembering again what's been done for him. And it causes his heart to be filled with joy and and, and thankfulness and encouragement. And I want you to see this first in your outline. The first thing that Paul sees as he remembers, he remembers, I was a sinner, but I received mercy. This is the amazing truth that Paul's heart's led to right away. He drops the pen. I can't believe it. I remember I was a sinner. I was a sinner, but I got all this mercy. I got all this mercy. Paul starts, look at verse 12 again. Catch what's being said. Catch even the tone. He says this, I thank him. Paul's thanking God. Why? Well, there's three reasons why in this verse right there in verse 12. I thank him because he's given me strength. I've got strength for the day-to-day tasks ahead of me. I thank him as well because he's judged me faithful. That term means the courtroom gavel has dropped and God has declared Paul to be faithful. It's a declarative act that God has said. Now he's faithful. He's given me strength. He's put the muscles on me. He's declared me to be faithful, but then also he's appointed me to his service. God's made me strong. He's made me trustworthy. He has made me an apostle for him, a messenger for him. Paul backs away and goes, wow, I can't believe that. Look at what God has given to me today. But then he keeps writing. But but that's not even the half of it. Maybe you don't know the story about me. That's not even the half of it. I got all this stuff right now, but you don't even know what I was like. Look at what I was like, verse 13. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor and an insolent opponent. I was a jerk. And I got this. I was a blasphemer. I was irreverent. I was wicked towards the things that belong to God. Wicked towards his word. Wicked towards his people. Wicked towards his son. Wicked towards his name. Using it often. I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I hunted down Christians to try to throw them in jail and kill them. 
I was an insolent opponent. The idea behind that term carries with it the chin up, I'm boldly opposing you. I'm arrogantly stepping in front of you and saying, no, you're not doing that. I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was an insolent opponent. This is how Paul describes himself in the book of Acts after telling his testimony again. He says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues. And I tried to make them blaspheme. And in a raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to the foreign cities. I was not neutral to Christ. I, I stood against the things of Jesus. I, I, I hated Christians. I, 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 I hated those who followed Jesus Christ. I hated their smiles. I hated their little smirks. I hated the way that they loved one another. I hated the way that they rejoiced in the middle of trial. I argued with them publicly. I opposed them publicly. I hit them. I imprisoned them. I, I took fathers away from their families and mothers away from their children. I crossed borders. I literally packed my bags and traveled places so that I could catch them and throw them into jail. I was happy when they were persecuted. And I was really happy when they were dead. You can imagine Paul saying, the only good, the only good Christian for me, the only good follower of Jesus was a, was a dead follower of Jesus. Though formerly, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. Verse 13. But, But I received mercy because I acted ignorantly and in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. I was that bad. I was that bad. That's who I really was. But I got mercy. Me, me, why did I get mercy? Because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know that, 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 that I didn't know, I don't have the faith that I, that I did now. I, I didn't know who Jesus was like I do now. I, did, I didn't know that that's not what God wanted for me. Not only that, but I, I, I didn't know that, that, that the things I was doing, that I thought I was doing for, for God, I was actually storing up not favor, but wrath. God was getting angrier and angrier and angrier. I, I didn't know that the life I was living was wrong. God had to open my eyes to see this. I acted ignorantly in unbelief. The, 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 the religious leaders were telling me I was doing okay. I thought I was doing okay. Friends and family were telling me I was doing okay. The world around me was saying, live for this life. I was living for that life. I thought it was working. I acted ignorantly and in unbelief. But I was completely wrong. I was completely wrong. The world around me was completely wrong. And by the way, this is not just an oops wrong. This is not just a, oh, that's just a little slip. I bought 2% instead of whole milk. 
No, no, that's not what, this wrong is majorly, majorly wrong. Paul's way off center here. In fact, the word of God can be taken, the Old Testament can be taken, the law code can be taken and applied to Paul. Look at how you've actually opposed God. Look at the things you've done against God. And Paul, held against that standard, would be guilty of death. He'd be sentenced to punishment by death. I'm not just an oops wrong. Paul, I was way wrong. Like, way, way wrong. But I didn't know. I didn't know who he was until my eyes were open to who he was. You got a story like that? Maybe not as much like that, but you got a story like that? You know, before Christ, a mess? A, a, a mess in my home, a mess at my work, a mess with my friends, a mess with my money, a mess with my kids, a mess with my wife, a mess with my health, because I'm a mess with my addictions. I was a blasphemer. I was wicked towards the thing that belonged to God, against his name, against his son, against his word, against his people. I was a persecutor of Christians. I was an insolent opponent, oh, boldly, disrespectfully, violently even opposing them. And that's just the stuff on the outside. That's the stuff that I, other people could see. And as the evidence against you continues to mount in your life and, and, and get higher and higher and higher and the scales tip more and more and more and more and the sin grows exponentially, God could have said, enough! I'm done with that guy! I'm sick of Craig. I'm sick of watching him sin again. I'm sick of watching him take my name the way he takes it again. I'm sick of him living the life like he thinks he can live the life. I'm sick, I'm sick of him living life as though I don't even exist. I'm getting tired of this. God could have said enough. But to you, he said, enough. Though your sins be like scarlet. They shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. And instead of wrath, you got mercy instead because you acted ignorantly and in unbelief. And your eyes were open and you were given a new heart and the new heart saw the Lord Jesus for the first time, not as you used to see him, but as you now actually truly see him as he truly is. And your heart leaps to the worth of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus, the one who said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. You jump to him and you cling to him and you receive mercy because you acted ignorantly and in unbelief, and then in verse 14 happens in your life, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. Grace, that's a gift, by the way. It's a, grace is a gift. It's a choosing by God to not give you what you do deserve, and instead choosing to give you what you do not deserve. And it's not just a little gift, it's overflowing grace. The grace is qualified, it's overflowing. It's, this word is only used here in the Bible, nowhere else is it used, and it literally means to overflow, okay? You know what this is like? This is like you've got a cup of water that you want to fill up with the pitcher of ice water. And you, you know when you pour the pitcher of ice water, and then it's pouring for a little bit, and then it gets stuck, 
with the ice wall, and you're, you, you, you have a decision in that moment to either turn it to the side and pour it more, more, and it comes out more freely, or you risk it with the ice wall, and you risk it, risk it, and then all of a sudden the ice wall explodes, and it comes all over your hands and all over the table, and the cup overflows. That's the word we're getting at. Overflowing. The cup goes over the edge. The water goes all over the table. The grace in your life floods everywhere. Overflowing grace. But what does this overflowing grace result in? It results in, according to the text, the, the, the grace of the Lord overflowed for me with the faith and the love. Faith, that's a trust. That's a me saying, I'm not trusting in myself anymore. I'm turning and I'm trusting into God and his plans for my life. And it also overflows, not just in faith, a trust in, not, in, not in me, but in God. It also flow, overflows in love, the love of Christ upon me. And now all of a sudden in Christ, I realize what it actually truly means to be loved and to love somebody. If I, if I was going to sit down with you at a, at a restaurant and put this on the back of a napkin and describe for you what verse, verses 12 through 14 is actually talking about, I'd probably write it like this. Uh, I'd, I'd probably say, okay, here's, here's Paul. Here's what he's saying. This is what his life was like before Christ. And then this is, the, this is him growing in Christ. Before Christ, he was a blasphemer, persecutor, and an insolent opponent. But the Lord Jesus Christ overflows for him and gives to him mercy because he acted ignorantly in an unbelief. And then he's given life in Jesus Christ, and now grace overflows for him. And overflowing love and overflowing faith comes to his life. And then Paul began the whole discussion by speaking of what's going on now. And now in my life, the overflowing grace is providing me with strength. It's providing me with faithfulness. It's providing me with service. Paul's dropped his pen. And he says, hold on a second. Time out. Because i got to worship. Because this has happened to me in my life. Don't you, don't you see why I'm so happy? Don't you see why I'm losing my mind? I'm so happy. Look at what God has done for me. Even though I was all this, God has done this for me. And now God is doing this for me. We have stories like this that happen in our, in our baptism tank a lot. And thank the Lord for it. Men and women standing there saying, God, God did this, has done this in my life. Even though before I knew him, uh, I was wicked. I used to say evil things about God and his people. But Christ gave me mercy. He gave me mercy because I hadn't yet believed in him and I didn't know what I was doing. I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. But I got mercy. Those who are well don't need a doctor. But those who are sick do. Jesus came to call not the righteous one, but the sinner. Jesus came for sinners, and, and that was me. Maybe you're sitting there today saying, yeah, that was me too. Major, major. I was a sinner, but I got mercy. Before we leave this point, you, do you know what this means, though? Do you know what this means? Major, majorly important application. Do you know what this means? Nobody's too far from Jesus. Nobody's too far. No one is out of the reach of God. Have you given up on somebody in your life? Have you, have you stopped praying for somebody maybe in your life? You're thinking of that someone right now? Maybe you invited them to Easter. 
And they're like, no way. You, you, you prayed, you gave them the card, you followed up, they did I'm not coming anywhere. You giving up on them? Or maybe, maybe they did come. Maybe you were praying that they would be here this weekend, but they, at the end of the Easter service, they're saying, you forget this place. No way. Is there somebody in your life that you've given up on? That you're thinking there's no possible way that God could save that person? Do you know the enemy wants you to think that too? The enemy wants you to believe that that person's too far gone. The enemy wants you to think that that, that, that person is beyond the reach of Jesus. That, that, that Jesus, who, who with his mouth created things like time and atomic particles, who with his mouth spoke the sun into existence, is somehow unable to reach your friend or your family member or that loved one. That, that Jesus is somehow, he doesn't have arms that can reach to your kid. They're on the other side of the... Jesus, he doesn't have arms that can reach to your husband. He's, he's, he just wants to... You know what this means? This truth reminds us today. It's not get better and get better and get better and get better and then get saved. It's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. Jesus pays house calls to the sick heart. You know what this means? Don't stop praying. Don't ever stop praying. Keep knocking, keep pleading, keep asking, keep talking. You know what else this means? It means you're not too dirty for God either. Maybe, maybe you've been coming here uh, week after week after week after week, and you sit there and you say, this message is not for me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what's in my life. You don't know the kind of garbage that's on my hands and in my heart. You don't know, you don't know who I am. This message isn't for, this is for the good people. I'm coming just to sing the songs. I don't want to hear anything. I can't, it's, not, it's not me. The enemy wants you to believe that too. Not you. This message isn't for you. You're too wicked. You can't have this. You're too dirty. If they knew what you had done, no one would want to even sit next to you. The enemy wants you to believe that. What lie have you told yourself? What lie have you bought that makes you think that Jesus isn't for you? If Jesus can save a person like Paul, if Jesus can save a darkened heart, he can save you. It's not the, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. Do you know what else this means? God uses everybody. God uses everybody. Do you think that because of what you have done in the past that now in Christ you are useless for him? Do you think that because of what you have done that if people knew all oh, the past, oh, that's terrible, that, that people wouldn't, wouldn't that, you, that you're not somehow fit for the kingdom of God, that you should just sit and do nothing? You should, I, can't, I can't be a part of... I, my life, okay, if you, if you met me at 18 years old, you would be shocked that, that, that this many years later I'd be standing here and, and declaring to you who Jesus is. The words that used to come out of my mouth and the things I used to say, do you think that, do you think that Christ can't use you? Christ uses every broken piece perfectly, every broken heart, every 
hurtful experience, everything that's been done to you, everything evil and wicked that you have done, in Christ Jesus now freed, ransomed, redeemed, forgiven, Christ uses those broken pieces. Those who are well don't need a doctor. But those who are sick do. How do you get this? How do you get this? Well, the five key words at the end of, of, of verse 15 or 14 tell us how. These things, these things, this faith, this love, this grace, this mercy, it's found in Christ Jesus. There's no other way. There's no other way. Paul knows this. He backs away and says, oh, the good news is, the good news is, is even though this is who I was, the good news is, is that Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ, I am forgiven. In Jesus Christ, I have been given mercy, even though I was the kind of person I was. Now in Christ Jesus, I am a different person today. I have been forgiven. I was a sinner, but I received mercy. There's more that Paul wants to say to Timothy and more I believe the Lord wants to say to us. I want to take you to this, the second point in our outline today. First, I, I was a sinner, but I received mercy. But now second point number two is this. I am a sinner, but I received mercy. I am a sinner. That sounds like the first point. The difference is I was and now I am. You see this? Verse 15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Pause, hold it right there. Uh, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Uh, get ready, Paul says. Get ready. Here comes a sentence that you might want to quote. Here comes a thing that you might want to embrace with your heart. Here comes a truth that you might want to write in the back of your Bible. Here comes a thing that you want to make into art and hang on the wall. Here comes a thing that's under 140 characters you might want to retweet. Here comes a thing, a big truth that you might want to tattoo. No, don't, don't tattoo this. But it's a big truth. This is a major, major truth coming. What's the truth? The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Here it is. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Quick English lesson on, on the verb to be. This is the past tense of the verb to be. I was. You just read it in verse 13. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. See it there? Uh, this is the future tense of the verb to be. I will be. That's how you'd say it. And then this is the present tense. I am. Right now. Did you see this before? Who's Paul talking about? What's Paul talking about? He's talking about him right now, today. Right in this moment, as my pen writes the note to you, Timothy, I am right now the foremost of sinners. Jesus came into the world to save sinners, Timothy, and I'm the foremost. In the KJV, this is the word chief, the chief of sinners. Chief, foremost. It means I'm the first in line. I'm the first standing at the first place in line, saying I'm the, the worst sinner. I know. Me. Me. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the foremost, says Paul. And we stop and we say, how can he say that? Like this is getting near towards the end of Paul's life. This is many, many years of effective ministry. God's forgiven him of sin. Uh, he, this is the guy who took the gospel to so many. He was beaten for Jesus. He was persecuted. He was thrown in jail. He suffered greatly for Christ. He wrote half the New Testament for crying out loud. He discipled guys like Timothy and Titus. He cast out demons. He healed the sick. 
Think for a second, if you're Timothy and you get the letter. Dear Timothy, I'm the worst sinner I know. Paul? You know, I think Paul understands is the truth that maturity needs to lay hold of in our life. The recognition and the understanding that sin in my life is everywhere. Sin is not just in the actions that you can see. It's also deeply rooted in the places that you can't see. My rejecting and ignoring of God and the world that he has created. My rebelling against him by living without any frame of reference to him. And delighting in the things of the world rather than the things of myself. Rather than the things of God. My not being or doing what he wants for me. Sin doesn't just manifest itself in blasphemy and in, in, in persecution and in insolent opposition. Sin is locked in the heart of every man, woman, and child who's ever lived. It's not just the fighting. It's not just the lying. It's not just the swearing. It's not just the adultery. It's not just the killing. All that stuff's on the outside of the heart. No, inside the heart. That's where the real problem is. That's where the real sickness is. That's the stuff that Paul knows that only he can see and his God can see about him. And that's the stuff that only you can see and only God can see that I pray God has given you eyes to see this as well. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. William Law, he was a 17th century writer, he said that this way, we may justly condemn ourselves as the greatest sinners we know because we know more of the folly of our own heart than we do of other people's. I don't know your heart. I don't know how bad you are. I know my heart. I know there's a lot of problems in there. I know there's a great evil. There's a sickness in me, a struggle in me. I'm the worst person I know, says Paul. Is the saying trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance for you? Understand this, that Paul's not telling the story, hey, this is a trustworthy statement, uh, that I, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. What Paul's intention there is not for us to say, oh yeah, okay, the, the trustworthy statement is that Paul is the worst sinner that's ever lived. That's not what he means, and you understand that now, don't you? He means the saying is trustworthy for us to be embraced ourselves, for us to say, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. I love reading Christian biographies, and a common thread you see through Christian biographies, these great men and women of faith, is at the end of their lives, many, many years of maturity, many, many years of fruitful ministry, they're clinging to central truths, the central truth of who they are in Christ. I'm reminded of a story that was in the, of an essay contest that was in the London Times 100 years ago. Maybe you've heard of this essay contest that was saying, hey, there's so much problems in the world this day. Look at left, look at, look at all across the world. So many problems. What's wrong with the world today? This is an essay contest. Please submit your answers to the editor. And uh, G.K. Chesterton, he was a, a Christian writer, and he wrote in with a, with a pretty, I think, succinct summary. He writes in with this with the answer. Dear sir, I am. me. That's maturity speaking. That's maturity that understands this. How about John Newton? You know John Newton? He's the guy who wrote Amazing Grace, the most famous hymn of all. John Newton, before Christ, was guilty of human trafficking, part of the slave trade. 
John Newton, many, many years of fruitful ministry, going blind. And he, he, he says this at the end of his life, although my memory's fading, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. The truths you cling to. This is who I am. Not just who I was. Honestly, this is who I am still. And this is who Jesus is. It's who he was and who he will be. The great truth that Jesus Christ came into the, sinner, into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost, is the saying trustworthy to you today. Do you believe it today? Do you have this honest view of yourself? You know what I think God does as we grow in maturity in Christ? It's, it's kind of like when I came to Christ, the flashlight gets turned on on the sheet of paper of my life that shows all the sins in my life. And God immediately exposes the, 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 the horribleness in my life, the, the sins that you can see and the sins that no one can see in my heart and in my hands. He, he clicks the light on and he shows me who I really am. And then as maturity continues to grow in my life and God continues to do a great work in my life, Despite me, the flashlight begins to rise. And all of a sudden, I just don't see that tiny little circle of all my sin. God begins to show more and more of my heart. Do you see this in your own life? As the flashlight begins to rise, do you see the ways that you've maybe connived in your heart? As the flashlight begins to rise, I see the mental vacations that I take that no one else sees. When the flashlight begins to rise, I see the struggles that, 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 that I give into so many times because it's so exhausting to resist them. And the flashlight begins to rise, and I see more and more the evil planned against God's people and God, and more of the rejoicing when wrongdoing happens to others. And then the flashlight begins to rise, and I see the lust in my heart for more things, more stuff, more pleasure, more praise for my own self. And the flashlight begins to rise, and I, can, and I see the continuing opinion of myself, insisting that my view of myself and my appearance and my attitude and my performance is the only thing that matters in this life, not God's opinion of me. And the flashlight begins to rise more and more, and God shows me more of my life and the frustrations I harbor against other people, the lack of forgiveness, the refusal to cling to the joy of Christ because I want the things of this world so much. And the flashlight begins to rise, and I see more and more my lack of love for God's people, my lack of love for God himself. The flashlight rises even more, and I see my lack of forgiveness for people, even though I've done all this. Is the saying trustworthy to you today? Let me take this a little bit further. If it is, if you believe it today, if you're painfully holding the truth, yeah, I, I'm the worst sinner I know, then isn't it also true, if that's true, then isn't it also true uh, that many of the struggles in your life are because of you couldn't it also be said then that maybe the biggest problem in my marriage isn't my spouse, it's me. It's my selfishness. It's my lack of love. It's my lack of gentleness. It's my lack of understanding. It's my wanting to be first. Couldn't it also be said that maybe the, what if the biggest problem at work is me? Maybe it's not my boss. It's not my coworkers. It's not the job I'm assigned that, I, that is way beneath me. It's not my salary. What if the biggest problem at my work is me? And my lack of contentment. What if the biggest problem in my church is me? 
What if the biggest problem in the church is not the pastors, it's not the leadership, it's not the, the way the ministries run and don't run? What if the biggest problem is me and my lack of desire for unity or community or, or, or love for others? What if the biggest problem is not my finances, my health, my friends, my kids? It's me. What if the biggest problem that God wants to address in my life right now is me and my heart? Because I'm the biggest problem. Because I'm the worst sinner I know. This, this was supposed to be different, wasn't it? Like, this was supposed to be different. I was supposed to come to Christ. I was supposed to have my life changed. I believed the gospel. I loved him. I clinged to him. And then the sin was supposed to fall away. All of those struggles, all of those addictions, all of those problems, all of those unhealthy thought patterns, all of that selfishness, that was supposed to go away. But, you, but instead, I find day after day after day after day, they come back. So what's wrong with me? What's wrong with my heart? How, how come they can fix it and I can't? Well, the statement being made here is that we're all in this place. We're all in this place of brokenness. We can't fix it day by day by day by day. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. I am a perfect candidate for the doctor. I am a perfect candidate for Jesus Christ. The, tr the saying is trustworthy. The saying is trustworthy at the back end and it's say, the saying is trustworthy at the front end. The back end says, yes, I am the foremost. But look at the front end. Look at it again. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's me. He came for me. Of whom even right now, in my own heart, I am the foremost. Christ Jesus came to save me. He came to save you. He came to save you from you. And now verse 16. Look at verse 16. This is important. But I received mercy. Remember when we read that before? But I received mercy, though formerly I had acted ignorantly in an unbelief. That was Paul before he came to Christ. I, I did and said stuff and I didn't know Jesus. But he's saying it now, verse 16. But I received mercy for this reason. Wait a second. Now, as a Christian, when I do know Christ, I got mercy last time when I believed, the first time when I believed, because I, I didn't know him. I didn't know who Jesus was. I didn't know what his word said. I didn't know the expectations of God upon me in my life. God knew that I was acting ignorantly in unbelief. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That was me. I didn't know. And I got mercy. How is there mercy Today is, is there mercy today for me? I, I do know better now. I do know I shouldn't do these things now. I do know I shouldn't think this way now. I, I, I've been saved. I've been walking in the church. Before I didn't know what I was doing, but now I do know what I was doing. Sometimes in the darkness of my heart, I hear the voice of the Lord saying, don't do this. And I do it. What about me? Is there mercy for me? I'm a pastor. I should know better. Is there mercy for me? In Christ, is there mercy? Verse 16. 
But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, as the first in line again, Christ Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example for those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Is there mercy for the believer who has sinned? Yes. Yes. The wonder of the gospel is that the well of the mercy of God never, ever dries up. Just like grace is overflowing, mercy is overflowing again today. Why, Paul says, why, why is mercy overflowing? Because Jesus Christ wants to set me as an example of how patient he is. Perfect patience, it says. Literally, not lacking nothing. Completely, perfectly complete. Why patience? Why patience? Why does God want to make me an example of patience? This is so critical. Because Jesus knew he knew when he gave you life. He knew when he gave you mercy, you were going to be messy. He knew that you would still struggle. He knew that you would still get entangled by that sin. He knew that when he was on the cross, that, 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 that coming to him in your life would get rid of the penalty of sin once and for all, finally and eternally. But it wouldn't get rid of the presence of sin in your life. He knew that that would be a reality. He knew that you would still fail. He knew that you would still fall. He knew that you would still yell at your kids. He knew that you would still struggle with those things. He knew that you would still replace them with things like comfort. He knew that you would still try and replace them with things like pleasure. He knew that you would still try and place, replace them with things of your own personal significance. But his patience is perfect. But, he but we receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, the first in line again, Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. You know what this says? This says, if you believe this truth today in your heart, you take this in, I'm the foremost sinner, yes, but I'm also the foremost example of the patience of God, and that, and that God has great patience on me. You know what this says? This says, I am a walking, talking, living breathing, eating, sleeping, perfect example of how patient Jesus is. I'm a billboard, baby, living it out. Look at how patient Jesus is. He's patient with me. He can be patient with you. Jesus displaying his perfect patience, did you see this? As an example for those who were to believe in him for eternal life. If Jesus can work in my life and change me and be patient with me, then he can surely do the same for you. Do you know how hard it is to follow somebody who, who's perfect? Do you, you got somebody like that in your life? They never tell you when things are wrong. Everything's always perfect. Life is great. Kids are great. Spouse is great, marriage is great, car is great, everything's great. Perfect, 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 perfect. I never make a mistake. I've never sinned ever. Perfect, perfect, perfect. You can't follow somebody like that. But when somebody stands and says, you know what, I'm a mess. I'm a mess. I still struggle. I struggled and I still struggle. I'm a mess, but Jesus loves me. There's mercy for me. The only perfect person we need to follow is Jesus. And he says, come to me. He says, come to me. Come to me. Jesus came to save sinners. So I guess if I was writing this on the napkin again, I'd probably change my diagram. I'd probably take that mercy arrow and, and make a stop here, like a pit stop, and then draw it and make it like we're carrying along. All the days of my life, overflowing grace, overflowing mercy. Paul's saying, now, now do you see why I'm so happy? He said, the pen drops. I can't believe this. 
God's grace overwhelming in my life. God's mercy unending in my life. For Paul, for you, and for me. Because I was a sinner, and I still am a sinner, but by the grace of God in Christ, I have received mercy and forgiveness. And now, is there any wonder why verse 17 exists? You know why it does. Verse 17, look at it. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul backs up and just unloads a praise cannon. Look at what has been done in my life, Timothy. I can't believe it. He's amazing. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, he gets the glory, he gets the honor forever and ever. Amen. Jesus came to save sinners. Jesus came to save me. He came to save you. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick do. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So let me ask you two questions as we finish here today. Question number one, are you sick or are you healthy? If you're healthy, I've got nothing more to say to you. If you're sick, where are you going to go to get well? Who are you going to go to? Are you going to ignore it again? Are you going to make another purchase, see if it gets better? Are you going to dive a little bit more into some entertainment, see if that gets better? Are you going to immerse yourself into an online reality and see if it gets better? Are you going to slide deeper into darkness? Are you going to swallow another bitter pill against that person, see if it gets better? Are you going to bury that anger? Are you going to pretend it doesn't exist? What, What are you going to do to try and make it better? If you're sick, where are you going to go? Today, the truth is, is that if we humble ourselves, if we humble ourselves and turn, the Bible calls that repentance, turn away from where we are living and turn to the doctor and go to the healer that you can find forgiveness from your sins. You say, Lord, this is what I've done. This is the life I've lived. I need Jesus then guess what? You get the mercy today too. You get the forgiveness today too. Because Jesus came to save me. And today, if you humble yourself and you confess, Lord, I'm a sinner. My sins have taken me from you again. Again have I been taken away from your plans and from your goodness and your love and your forgiveness. And you run to him today. You can find mercy too. Because Jesus came to save sinners.